This is Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast for South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. Learn more at southcities.church. What is a bigger invention in the history of mankind? Mm -hmm. The atomic bomb Uh or artificial intelligence? Uh, The atomic bomb. What do you mean by that? Just like what is more history altering? The invention of the atomic bomb or artificial intelligence? History altering Mm -hmm. atomic bomb. Okay. Do you think that AI has the... The potential oh, yeah. to uh, change that. Oh yeah, Skynet, all that, like Terminator, <laughs> etc. Y- yeah. Okay. Revelation thirteen. Mark of the Beast is actually our robot overlords. Maybe. Hi everyone. Welcome Naturally. to the rule of our new robot overlords. No, you don't. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, why is the atomic bomb more significant? Uh, because we're like a button click away from wiping everybody out. <laughs> Except for this, the good grace of our good God. Uh, we a button click away. I think it's like four. I don't key know turns exactly what it is. And a couple buttons. I don't know. Multiple people. Yeah. Hopefully. Retaliations. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Anyway, it's not good. It's not good. There's a new movie coming out by Chris Nolan this summer that sadly is rated R, mm. which means I probably will not be seeing it in the theater, unfortunately. But Oppenheimer about Robert J. Oppenheimer, the uh, mm. scientist who was kind of the ringmaster for the Manhattan Project. It's really fascinating. But we're here to talk about something even more monumentous in the history of the world mm. than even either of those inventions. Yes, systematic theology for. I thought you were going to say the church. Well, yeah, that and end times. Yeah. And along the way, we'll talk about angels because today, systematic theology for. We're talking about angelology, doctrine mm-hmm. of angels. We're going to talk about ecclesiology, yep. doctrine of the church, and eschatology, the doctrine of the last things. So- which one of those doctrines is your favorite, Nick? <laughs> My favorite? Yeah. I mean, we did heresies last time or a couple times ago. What's your favorite, uh, you know, of those three? Uh, I don't know if I can pick between ecclesiology and eschatology. Mm. I mean, ecclesiology for the everyday life of the church and like what it means to live together in community and to exercise the keys of the kingdom. There's not much more important in life, you know, as far as like everyday life goes. Yeah. But when we're talking about the return of Christ... Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't get any better than that. Well, no, so true. I don't know that's how to true. choose. <laughs> mm, difficult. I know. I know. Uh, well, let's start with uh, angelology, uh, the doctrine of angels. What What are angels? Just what are they? They are uh, created spiritual beings okay. um, that uh, don't, they're not humans, right? They mm-hmm. don't have, they, as far as we know, they don't, they're not, they don't have like eternal souls, Right. No idea. Yeah. Um, but who are nevertheless real and uh, exercise an influence in our world. Uh, so do they have temporal souls? What do you mean temporal? Like, like they're like, inside time? Yeah. You, well, yeah. Uh, so we have eternal souls, right? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that they have, you, you said they don't have eternal souls or you're not sure that they do. What, what do you mean by that? Just that like, well, I was I was thinking like in reference to salvation. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, things into which angels long yeah, yeah, to exactly. look. First Peter uh, one twelve and following or eleven and following. So that there's something about salvation, right? Uh, that's radically interesting to angels. Or Ephesians three, the manifold wisdom of 
God is on mm-hmm. display in the church to principalities and powers. Right. Mm-hmm. Very least the bad angelic forces, mm-hmm. of which there are some. And uh, if good angels long to look into it as well, then uh, there's something about salvation that right. they don't experience, nevertheless, is glorious yep. to them. Or, uh, you know, Revelation 5 with angels like bowing down before the throne because of God and his salvific work through Christ. Mm-hmm. Like loads of texts like that. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are there lots of different kinds of angels? And if so, which are your favorite? <laughs> uh, well, there are the seraphim, there are the cherubim, there's the nephilim, which some people are, are not those sure. I'm not sure. Oh. Some people think they are, some people think they aren't. Okay. All right. Do you, are you like 51, 49? I don't think they are. Okay. But uh, yeah, we don't need to talk much about the Nephilim. Okay, Genesis 6, all that action. Okay, um, yeah. Uh, what <clears throat> then are there angels? are like, you know, what people would sometimes refer to as the archangels, yeah, like yeah. Gabriel, yep. um, the messengers that you know, came to Mary and yep, yep. things like that. So Gabriel, Michael is yep. another mm-hmm. named angel. Yep. Uh, depending on, you know, where you branch outside of the Bible, there's loads of thoughts about angels mm-hmm. and demons. Uh all of it speculative, some of it not good to speculate sure. about. So yeah. branching into yeah. the occult. So what can we say about like the the nature of what angels are, why they were created? Uh and I mean we'll we'll talk on the fall of Lucifer and Satan here in a second. But just why why were angels created? I don't I don't know. What I mean, what do you think? For the glory of God. Well, okay, yes. Okay. Yeah. They were created for the glory of God. Uh, so apparently they are servants for mm-hmm. the church, servants for God's people. Yep. Um, are they called ministering spirits? Yeah, ministering yeah. Uh-huh. spirits. Yep, yep. yep. Um, they, you know, they certainly minister before the throne of God. Mm-hmm. They do things in relationship to creation, uh, all sorts of things, including apparently warring mm-hmm. against evil forces. Sure. So if you take the last half of Daniel when uh, there's a war between or a striving between an angel and uh, the prince of Persia or in Revelation 12, Michael the archangel, uh, you know, uh, gets into a war along with his angels with Satan and his angels and Satan's cast out of heaven or in Jude where Michael, I think it's Michael and Satan are Mm -hmm. wrestling over the body of Moses and Michael says, the Lord rebuke you. So, uh, there's something in uh, post-fall of the angelic realm where uh, there's war. There's warfare mm-hmm. in the spiritual realm um, that gets mentioned several times in Scripture. So, And, you know, we're at war, in a sense, with um, powers in the principalities. Yep, we don't wrestle against flesh yep. and blood, mm-hmm. but against powers and principalities, rulers, rulers of this darkness, this present age. Yep. Um, how do we war? What's that about? Well, so that's that. I mean, that gets to the fallen angels. What mm-hmm. were you going to say about mm-hmm. the yeah. fall of? No, just tell me what you think about the fall. I don't know how it happened. All we know is that sometime before creation, Lucifer, who apparently was a good angel, fell and became a bad angel. <laughs> yeah. So some people take the description. Saw angel, saw him fall. Satan fall like lightning. Well, that's, uh, is that Luke 10, where Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Um, now the ruler of this world is cast out mm-hmm. in the gospel of John. Uh, I take those various references to actually be not 
about uh, some primor- primordial, like prior to time, you know, fall of Satan, mm-hmm. but actually what happened at the, um, in the ministry and ascension and reign of Christ. Oh, okay. So because Revelation gotcha. 12, mm-hmm. you know, there was a, a child came out, the dragon tried to devour it. The child ascended to God and then war arose in heaven. Satan lost, it was cast down. So I think the kind of description that we see of Satan being an accuser in, uh, what is it, Zechariah 3, I think it's Zechariah with uh, Joshua the high priest or in Job 1 and 2, yep. where he's before God in God's throne room that temporally in time after the ministry of Christ and his ascension, that Satan can't access the throne room Got anymore. It. He's mm-hmm. been cast to earth uh, and awaits a time where he will be um, finally destroyed. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's the case now. Some people take uh, a portion of, uh, is it the Prince of Tyre? Uh, who is, you know, you're a ministering angel in the, uh, in the throne room of God. I'm going to try to find it here real fast. Uh, <laughs> Ethan can edit this out. Uh, we need intermission music. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> Uh, it is Ezekiel 28. So Ezekiel 28, some people propose that this is a satanic figure um, in some different ways or that in some way the Prince of Tyre kind of uh, uh, acts as a representative for something satanic. Mm-hmm. So here's, um, here's what it says. You're in Eden. This is Ezekiel 28, 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, and diamond, barrel onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, crafted in gold were your settings and engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing for the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, in the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Uh, and it goes on with a few more things. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's some different ways, and I, I think it's compelling because of the mention of basically a Hebrew word that's clearly like angelic. Mm-hmm. Um, to see the Prince of Tyre uh, as kind of a type, as it were. And other kings like, uh, you know, uh, Nimrod and Nebuchadnezzar and others in their pride, mm-hmm. kind of having that origination in Satan's fall, which again, we don't know much about. Right, exactly. We don't know much about uh, how that came about, how it was that something angelic could be created and yet able to be corrupted mm-hmm. in that regard. Just not something that we have information about. And I think when we're talking about angelology, it just, uh, we should hasten to say, we have really robust categories for talking about uh, what we have the last couple of podcasts, like God and man. And this kind of middle theology or middle realm of angelic spiritual beings, mm-hmm. you don't, don't have as much information about. And so there's a lot of speculation, a lot of different things. I think it's really reasonable to say that there's as many kinds of spiritual beings as there are earthly creations. Hmm. 
like that that angels and uh, in their varieties and other spiritual beings um, that there could be loads and loads of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we just don't know. We don't have a lot of information. So the angels in Ephesians three uh, spend a uh, well. What uh, Paul says in Ephesians three is that the church is created to display the manifold wisdom of God mm-hmm. to play it to creatures in the heavenly realm, to principalities and powers. And it does so on the nature of its unique place in salvation history as a spot where disparate groups, Gentiles and Jews come together in unity. So when we talk about the category now of ecclesiology, Mm -hmm. we don't just like leave angelology behind, but there is something about the church. There is something about salvation. There is something about, eschatology, doctrine of last things that angels don't quite get in a way that we do. And they long to look into it. Um, does the church exist in the old Testament, Nick? Does the church exist in the old Testament? Yeah. Not in its present form. Oh, okay. That was like a juke kind of move. Like, uh, why don't you explain that? Well, so Israel in the old Testament is the people of God. Sure. Right? Are you more comfortable just saying the people of God? Yes. As opposed to the church? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did the church start at Pentecost? Is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. I think so. I think so too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some would mm-hmm. argue that the church began in the Old Testament in various ways as a subset of the people of Israel. The people that truly uh, had the law of God written on their hearts, truly communed with God, you know, a, a minority of the people of Israel, that they. Uh, were the church. Yeah. Um, so Presbyterians writ large would argue that. Others would argue that. Uh, we believe, I think, that the church began on the day of Pentecost. Yep. As and, the, the, and the, the defining thing that made that so was then the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yep, yep. So, so then we become the temple, and yep. then when we gather as a people, then we're the, the temple. Yeah, God, the, the church. So unlike the Old Testament where first, and I think it's this, you know, if you, uh, you know, Eden from Eden to Horeb to Sinai to the mm-hmm. tabernacle yeah. to the temple in Jerusalem, we see a uh, a way in which God's presence is with his people to bless them. Dwelling with them. Or to curse them if yeah. they cling to their sin. And now in the New Testament, um, some of that dynamic is still present, right? We are filled with the spirit. We become the dwelling place for God by faith. Um, and atoned for our sin by mm-hmm. uh, the blood of Christ. And so he can draw near to us to bless us Yep, and not curse us. So then, let me ask you a question. Did the church replace Israel? No. Ah. Israel matured into the church. That's, and, how, I would, yeah. that's how I would say it. And I would say that the, the thing that defines, at least my view, and I'm pretty sure it's your view, is that uh, Christ is the perfect fulfillment of Israel. And then in our union with Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I, we become I the church. Yeah. So Christ yeah. is the, the fulcrum, right? Yeah. Christ he is, is the perfect Israel. Yep. He is my son, Israel. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Isaiah said that. And uh, all those that are found in him are also that spiritually speaking, whether Jew or Gentile. Right. Exactly. And that says nothing about the future for ethnic Israel, mm-hmm. right? I yep. believe Romans 10, Romans 11, yep. that there is certainly a future for ethnic Israel, especially set apart by God to be ministered to, but only on the reality of this 
covenant in Christ. Yes. Not yep. because of previous things necessarily. Although all those things find their fulfillment, yeah. you know, Romans four in Christ. I think it's just a, or the, you know, the grafting in that Romans 10 and 11 talks about. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's like a grafting in uh, strictly to like some aspects of the promises to the patriarchs. I think that's Jews and Gentiles get the whole package mm-hmm. in the new heavens and new earth. Right. So everything that that pointed towards pretended, even if you're a premillennialist, right? And you believe that there's some intermediate state between where we're at now mm-hmm. and the eternal state. Yep. I still think that those promises find their ultimate fruition in the eternal state. 100%. So even if yep. there's something special for uh, ethnic Jews that are in Christ in a millennial state, I still think that there's more mm-hmm. beyond that. Now that gets into eschatology a little bit, which we're not quite at yet. Well, it seems like just the the one more, like the really important question about the church is what does the church do? Like what's the purpose of the church? Yeah. Reflect the glory of God yeah. to a lost and dying world. Mm-hmm. So, which is Israel's job. Deuteronomy yeah. 4. Sure. Right? How will this people, how will the people surrounding like mm-hmm. know how great your God is by the wisdom on display in this law or, you know, that your people, that your offspring will become a blessing to the earth. And then you look at how the, um, the, the authors that are writing in Hebrew pick up different stories about how that happens mm-hmm. throughout both the time of the Kings, the time of the prophets and others, Israel. And just, I mean, speculatively, I probably mentioned this before, but like, why does Israel get placed literally in the crossroads of three or four major superpowers over the course of, you know, roughly, you know, a thousand years. Mm-hmm. I think it's because they had an evangelistic purpose. Sure. Perhaps it was yeah. a little bit more come and see mm-hmm. than go and tell, but I don't think the church, uh, I don't think Israel's mission then was like dashed and God started over. Yep. I think it was always his plan that Israel would mature into Jew, yep. Gentile together and they would inherit yeah. that mission. And now Jesus has come and he's inaugurated the kingdom. Yep. And so now the church, the way I, you know, get this from Jonathan Lehman, but the church is an embassy of the kingdom of God here on earth right? to reflect his glory and to say, Hey, this is, this is the ultimate kingdom. Come, you know, join, yep. be yep. a part. Yep. Yeah. And I think as Baptists, we would say that, you know, one of the things we believe about uh, ecclesiology that not every Protestant would believe mm-hmm. is that we believe that truly church should only have regenerate Absolutely. membership, both mm-hmm. at the local level and the, you know, the, the universal level, because, you know, other Protestants would say, yes, the church universal is only composed of those that have faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, but the church local, and there's some blending of this. Some would say the church universal can include, you know, uh, unregenerate people. They're part of the covenant, just like uh, in the old Testament, yet they're not regenerate. Uh, and we would just, we would that disagree. Yeah, we would say that <laughs> you know the prophecies about the new covenant in Ezekiel, um, what Jeremiah says, yes. and how the author of Hebrews takes some of those things and interprets them would argue pretty specifically for who's a part of the church, people that have been regenerated, born again mm-hmm. by faith in Christ, and uh, that that's what the new covenant is. Mm-hmm. There's not some like lesser covenant or you know two tiers of this covenant yeah. where you get into the covenant even though you're not regenerate. Yep. So then one of the purposes of the church then is to kind of exercise the keys of the kingdom and to declare who's in and who's out. Yeah, recognize. Recognize. Yeah, put labels on. Absolutely. Looks like kingdom property. 
you know, like, or on its way towards mm -hmm. every square inch. Which is why we make such a big deal about membership here. Yeah, it is. And just wanted to say that increasingly over the years, a bigger deal about it. Yep. That it matters a lot. Um, should churches plant churches? Yes. Okay. Why do we believe that? Because we like churches. That's good. What does it mean <laughs> to be a church? Uh, like, like what, what is, uh, you know, when I get together in a small group setting and I have a meal and I pray for other people, is that church? No. When I get together with other Christians over coffee, and we're talking about serious spiritual things. Is that church? No. When I get together at U.S. Bank Stadium with, you know, whatever rem remnants of DC talk is around and, you know, and need to breathe and, and 40, whatever else and 40,000 other people, is that church? No. Okay. Why? Um, so if we're talking about what constitutes the church, I think there needs to be some sort of like we are together uh, covenanting as a body of believers to watch over one another's faith. And we need to do that um, with the preaching of the word and the institution of the sacraments. Okay. Right? If yep. those things aren't present, it's not a church. Yep. Uh, if you never gather as a church, are you a church? No, because literally church means gathering. Yeah. It means gathering or <laughs> assembly. Yep. So to call something a church that doesn't gather yep. is a misnomer at and, best. And it's not just a random gathering of Christians who come together once. It's a people yeah. Who, who have are covenant yes, together. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Accountable to one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely true. Uh, ecclesiology leads us into eschatology to some degree because the church has a mission to declare something in all that it does, the preaching of the word, holding each other accountable, and in the institution of the sacraments to say Jesus is coming again. Yes. Right. Baptism pictures the resurrection, right, that points towards that. Uh, Paul says that the Lord's Supper uh, as often as you eat and drink of it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, right? Uh, you know, the the binding, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven points towards that coming again. And certainly the preached word, everything about the gospel uh, and what we see in God's word has a force mm -hmm. that points towards essentially the last two chapters in Revelation. Right. The return of Christ, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and new earth. That's the eschatology, doctrine mm -hmm. of the last things. Um, are there major divisions within? So there's certainly divisions in ecclesiology, right? Yep. So there's different understandings like the church is God's kingdom. The church is a representative of God's kingdom. The church is incidental to God's kingdom. The church mm -hmm. is, you know, uh, regenerate and unregenerate. You baptize, you know, only believers or you baptize believers and their children or grandchildren or whatever, uh -huh. you know, and various other things. Is eschatology a bit more like, like most people agree on that or is it pretty varied? No. I'd say there's a lot of different divergent viewpoints on eschatology. Okay. The what one are, thing that people agree on, yeah. the Orthodox Christians, that Christ is coming again. Yes. And anybody that claims that Christ has already come. Is right, a heretic. Is a heretic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this gets down to like First Thessalonians 4, don't be troubled as though the Lord already came. Mm -hmm. Like that's not the case. Uh, or is that, no, that's Second Thessalonians 2, right? Because it won't happen until the man of lawlessness appears. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's just like, no, Christ has not come. Look around. Mm -hmm. Look inside. You're still shot through a sin. Mm -hmm. uh, the world is still shot through a sin. Christ still needs to return. Yep. What, how, in what, you were about to say something. Well, I was going to say, but then there's all sorts of disagreements on the details of when and, you know, yep. Yep. like the millennium, for example, 
you know, from Revelation he, 20 and what that means. Yeah. Exactly. Is he coming before millennial reign? And then there's going to be millennial reign. Is the millennial reign happening right now right. In, in Christ's reign, right. the spiritual reign, yep. or are we uh, living post millennium, right? Yeah. Which will usher in then through the work of the church, yep. the kingdom. Right. All kinds of various thoughts mm-hmm. or the nature of the tribulation Yep, and the and nature of a rapture, which rapture. There, certainly there's a rapture. First Thessalonians four, mm-hmm. um, you know, a rapture will take place where those that are alive in Christ will be caught up and meet him in the air. Whether that happens uh, as he's returning to earth permanently as a temporary period, like I think um, especially dispensational premillennialists would talk about a pre-tribulational like a secret or rapture. mid-tribulational uh-huh. well, secret or a very, um, uh, not necessarily where Christ appears. Yeah, that's what. It, yeah, there's a trumpet, I mean. yep. perhaps, but not Christ appearing. Um, if that's what you mean, then yes. Yep. But are there two comings of Christ or only one? That would be exactly debates that that people would have. Yeah, and then there's debates over like, what is the land promise pointing to? Yep. Is there going to be a physical land that Israel, ethnic Israel, inherits, or is that the new heavens and the new earth? Yep. That all believers. Inheriting yeah. Christ. I think a lot of people, even people that would say like Israel does inherit something in the millennium are still looking to the new heavens and new earth mm-hmm. as like ultimate mm-hmm. promises. There's penultimate promises found in the millennium. But then, uh, I mean, certainly things like, yep. you know, Romans four twenty four, like Abraham, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that they would not, that they would inherit the world. Was it just for the offspring of Abraham according to the flesh? No. Right. It's also for... Gentiles too. So there's certainly direct things that speak about that, that I think find their fulfillment in the new heavens and earth, fully acknowledging like uh, different opinions about the millennium. Yeah. So is there, is there room for disagreement among faithful Christians on these details? Yeah. And so I think you get into the extreme sides of either speculation on one end or utter complacency Mm -hmm. on the other end, where you either ignore this area or you get hyper involved in it mm-hmm. to the detriment of yeah. other truths of scripture, uh, which I suppose each of the areas perhaps could, you know, each of the 10 kind of well, classic sure. systematic theology areas that could happen. But I think this area in particular elicits more kind of speculation around mm-hmm. that. Certainly a lot of fiction has been written. Certainly a lot of, you know, nonfiction books have been written. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, when we get to revelation, God willing next year, 2024, um, if not providing answers as per se, uh, I think we hope to look at the book of Revelation and the topic of eschatology as a whole and provide tools Yep. for helpfully kind of unloading. Because I think that's the that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize about eschatology is it's not only about the end, but mm-hmm. it's about now. It's about all the time period from Christ's first coming yep. to Christ's second coming. This is the end times. We are in the end times. Mm-hmm. Paul, others say now in these end times, you know, uh, the author of Hebrews says, you know, Christ has spoken. Yep. So we are living in this now in these 2000 years post Christ until he returns again. And we have to kind of inhabit that and live that. And the Bible acts as our guide for this kind of eschatological reality we live in. I'm excited for that. Excited for systematic theology. Obviously these four episodes were Yep. That way. Any final thoughts? Christ is coming again. Praise God. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thanks for joining us. 